I'm going to be all over the place this morning. I was reading in the gospel, specifically where the blind man is by the road, and he calls out to Yeshua, and everybody around tries to shush him, you know, stop, stop, and he won't be shushed. Keeps calling out, keeps calling out, keeps calling out, until finally Yeshua calls him over and heals him. Well, the place that took me is to Hebrews 3 and 4. It should be obvious to everybody, right? And I'll read it to you. 3.7 Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. The writer of Hebrews goes on then in a riff. The quote was from Psalm 95 by David. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, David came after the Torah and after the incident in the wilderness. And he says, as long as it's today, there's still time. So what the writer of Hebrews says is, hey, you, as long as it's still today, there is still time. Take advantage of it. Which is why I came there from the blind man. What the blind man saw was, it's today, he's here, there's an opportunity, and I am not going to miss this opportunity. So he wouldn't be shut up, he wouldn't be stifled by anybody for decorum or any of those reasons. He says, it's today, I have this opportunity, the Messiah is right in front of me, I am going to grasp it which is the same thing that is being said by the writer of Hebrews. As long as it's called today, in other words, as long as this creation continues to exist, don't waste the opportunity. Come to God. Now, David says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So that took me to hardness of heart. In Exodus... Pharaoh is the poster boy for a hard heart. Pharaoh keeps getting a hard heart and won't let them go until we get to the tenth plague. So what I want to talk to you about is a hard heart in this context. You know, you tell me something for 30 years and I catch right on. I finally caught on to something here as I was going through this that I had never completely understood before. There are two instances or causes or situations of a hard heart. One is active and the other is passive. Let me give you an example of a passive hard heart. And this is in Mark chapter 6. You know the incident where Yeshua sends them across the Sea of Galilee and we have a storm and so forth. So I'll pick it up in verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. 
For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Now, these are the disciples that are walking with Yeshua. These are not wicked men. These are not men who are in rebellion. These are not men who listened to God and said, Nope, not going to do it. That's Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows what God is telling him to do. Initially, he doesn't believe God has any power, but as things go along, he recognizes, yeah, God's got power, but he still refuses to obey. So Pharaoh has an active hard heart, which is to say he did it. The disciples have a passive hard heart. They're not in rebellion. They just don't get it. Very different. And that's the thing that I finally understood after all these years, is hardness of heart can be either active or passive. If you look at Pharaoh, in Exodus 8.15, when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. So Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Now, you've all been through this before, you've been here a while. One of the things about Pharaoh is toward the end of the sequence of plague, God hardens his heart. The way I describe that is as Pharaoh is getting weak need toward the end, God props him up and gives him the courage of his convictions. You know my metaphor that it's like wrestling with a bear. You get to choose whether you get in the cage with the bear, but it's up to the bear when the wrestling match is over. So Pharaoh chose to get into the cage with the bear, and God says, you aren't getting out of the cage until the match is done. I've got some stuff I need to do. And so at the end of this process, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but it starts off with Pharaoh himself hardening his heart. And that's the deal with the generation in the rebellion, in the wilderness. You all know the sin of the spies, where they send spies into the land, the spies come back, ten of the spies bring a bad report, two of them bring a good report, and they cause panic among the Israelites. Now, There is no question whatsoever in the Israelites' mind that God is real, that God is capable of doing what he says he will do, and that God has told them to go into the land. No question about any of that. So what they do is they harden their own hearts. In other words, they know what God requires, and they are, because of fear, just not going to do it. And that's what this Psalm 95 passage or the Hebrews passage is talking about. That generation in the wilderness hardened their own hearts. And because of that, God says, they cannot enter my rest. So, active and passive hard heart. The active one is pretty clear. That's a decision you make. You know what God says to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You just decide, I'm not going to do it known by another word, it's called sin. So, let's talk about the passive hard heart, which is far more interesting. We have been doing Musar for the last several weeks, and we do it about every four years. And Musar is, as I would describe it, an ancient, thousands of years old, Jewish 
practice to accomplish circumcision of your own heart. What you do is you look at your character and you decide what parts of your character you're not happy with or you think God would not be happy with. And then it's a program how to get those parts of your character in balance. And as I say, I describe that as circumcising your own heart, which, by the way, happens early in Deuteronomy where Moses says, you circumcise your heart. And then, of course, by the end of Deuteronomy, he says, yeah, okay, God will finally do it for you because you're not going to be able to do an adequate job. But the point is you're supposed to try. And that's what Musar is all about, is a systematic way of trying to get yourself circumcised in the heart. Now, in that process, what we talk about is how people are constructed. And this comes out of Genesis 2. There are several components to a human being. Sort of at the top level is the neshama. And what that is, is Christianity would call your spirit. And that's the part of you that connects to God. That's your connection. Next level down is what's called the nephesh. And that is basically your animal nature. The part of you that is connected to the earth. And then you, of course, got the clay, which is the body. It's more complicated than that, but we'll go with that for right now. So one of the things that the rabbis say, and I think this is actually spot on. Remember in Genesis 1, when we have creation, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good as he does everything. And finally he creates humanity and says, God saw that it was very good. Difference in the wording. And what the rabbis say is that's when what they call the Yetzer Hara was created. In Hebrew, Yetzer Hara means the evil inclination. And the Yetzer Hara, from a rabbinic point of view, and, and again, I think this is absolutely correct. These are very bright people and they've got it figured out. The Yetzer Hara is the thing that moves you to start a family, start a business. All that kind of stuff. In other words, the Yetzer Hara is the part of you that is connected to the world, the earth. So the part of you that's connected to the earth cleaves to the earth. This is the part that gets greedy. This is the part that gets prideful. This is the part that gets stuff done. And I've all said negative things, but this is also the part that causes you to start a family, causes you to start a business. In other words, that's your connection to this creation. A hard heart, in the passive sense, is your nephesh connected to the world and not being able to see the heavens. That's what a passive hard heart is. So our disciples who are in the boat and they're faced with a storm, very, very worldly thing. They've been with the Messiah all day, but... Whoa, we're in a small boat, we're in a storm, the world is very much on their mind at that point. Because they're wondering if they're going to drown. They're totally focused on the world. And so they don't understand or don't see or can't apply, oh, the loaves and fishes. Wait a minute, this guy Yeshua is able to bring things out of nothing and make them exist. 
he has told us to go across the sea. He's got the authority to tell us that. Therefore, it must be going to be okay. He's the Messiah. We have seen what he can do. We have seen the power of his words. We have seen all of that. And he just gave us an order, you go across the sea. Therefore, we're going to get across the sea. The world is not going to be able to mess that up. That's what we're talking about, the disciples' hard heart. They didn't understand that. So they are faced with this storm on the sea, and they are saying, oh, this is really bad. And fear takes over, and their nephish, or their yetzerah, which is connected to the world, takes charge. And says, you've got to do something, or you're going to drown. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about a passive hard heart. They didn't harden their hearts. They're not sinful. They're not in rebellion. They are simply focused on the world as opposed to being focused on God. Because right now the world to them was far more immediate than God was. I don't doubt that they probably uttered some prayers and so forth, but the point is they're focused on the boat and the storm and the water. They are not focused on the fact that Messiah told them to cross. Now, that brings us to an active hard heart. So, an active hard heart is when you know what God wants you to do, you know that God is real, and you just don't do it. And again, Pharaoh, he's the first one in the Bible that gets mentioned as having a hard heart, so he's the poster child there. He knows what God's telling him to do. At first, he doesn't know how powerful God is. You've got to sort of give him a little bit of slack the first couple of plagues because his magicians were able to match Moses step for step for a while. So for a little while, it was, eh, okay, this is a God. We got gods. What the heck? I will go with my gods. But of course, after a while... God, Jehovah, left their gods in the dust. So at that point, there's no doubt anymore in his mind that this is the most powerful God. This is the one who is telling me to do that, and I'm just not going to. That's a self-hardened heart. So why would we do that? Well, obviously, in Pharaoh's case pride. I'm the pharaoh of the most powerful nation on earth. By the way, do we have a problem with pride in our national leadership right now? Just saying. So one of them that will cause the problem is pride. Fear. That's the wilderness generation. The wilderness generation have got Moses with them. Moses is telling them God is saying, go into the land, you're going to be able to take it. They're just afraid. It's sort of similar to what the disciples are faced with. you got these big hairy Philistines up there, and I don't know that we can do that. And so they panic. So that's why they hardened their hearts, and God was not pleased with that one. And then the final thing is just greed. Now, we've got three prophets involved in all of this. 
you got the prophet Moses who is telling the generation in the wilderness. You've got guys like Elijah and so forth who are able to demonstrate the power of God. But you've also now got Yeshua who comes to Israel as a prophet. And what he does is he tells them to repent. And just like Elijah and just like Moses, he is able to demonstrate that he is able to call on the power of God and make things happen. So you've got a parallel situation with Yeshua and Moses. Yeshua comes and he says, repent. The Pharisees don't. And the question is why? And the answer to that is greed. Or a lust for power. Either one. Same thing really. Covetousness. Because what we see over and over again as we read the Gospels is statements to the effect of the Pharisees who are lovers of money argue with him and don't want to listen to him. The Pharisees also have secular power. So here you have a genuine, real prophet of God in the same way that Moses was a prophet and in the same way Elijah was a prophet. He teaches Torah. He is able to call upon the power of God when he needs to. You know, Elijah brings down fire from heaven and slaughters a whole bunch of prophets of God. Moses causes the ground to open up. The idea that this man is speaking Torah and he is able to call upon the power of God indicates or should indicate to the Pharisees this is somebody you should listen to. Just like Pharaoh. Just like the generation in the wilderness. And the Pharisees simply hardened their own hearts and said, no, we're not going to do that. Now, I'm using the Pharisees again as typical. You had a whole bunch of folks involved, but I'll use the Pharisees as a convenient label. So what they did is they hardened their own hearts, and what wound up happening, of course, is they lost everything. The Romans came in in 70 AD and sanded everything flat. Yeshua said that was going to happen. So what do you do about a hard heart? Well, I'm going to suggest, although I don't know that, that none of you has got an active hard heart. And why I say that, I don't know that, is because the Pharisees were sitting in church just like you are. So I'm suggesting that you maybe take inventory. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt right now that none of you has an active hard heart, but make sure you take inventory because the Pharisees were sitting in churches like you are. So one of the things that Hebrews says, which is interesting, and I'm going to go down to Hebrews 4, pick it up in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Notice it says strive to enter that rest. You've got to work at it. God, at the end of creation, ceased creating and rested. And what is being said here is the generation in the wilderness was not able to enter God's rest. Now, 
the generation of the wilderness, had they gone in, would have been just exactly like the generation that came in under Joshua. They would have had to strap their swords on and they would have had to go up against these Philistines and so forth and they would have had to fight and conquer. So it was not going to be a passive experience. But the point is, they were going to be in God's hand as they go through that. And they were going to be confident and were able to rest in the assurance that he was going to give them the victory. Didn't mean that they didn't have to strap on their swords, but they knew what the outcome of the battle was going to be. And I'm going to suggest that that's the rest that we are looking for. And what you have to do is you have to strive to enter that. And one of the things that I am fond of saying is this world that we are in is a schoolhouse. And what it's designed to do in this part of your life, your life starts at physical birth, then you go through this, then you go through physical death, and then you go on to the next part of your life. This part of your life is a school to prepare you for the next part of your life. I don't know about you, but school involves tests. School involves work. School involves striving. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you need to strive, work at it, to enter God's rest. Well, how do you do that? Well, I mentioned Musar earlier on. That's one of the Jewish disciplines for giving you tools to work on your character. Courage is situational. Now, what do I mean by that? The generation in the wilderness did, in fact, fight battles in the wilderness. Those men in that generation fought the Amalekites. So it isn't the case that they were necessarily cowards. But when faced with a bad report from the spies, they panicked. And that panic unnerved them. So one of the reasons that you're here is to have tests where you are tested periodically. Most of you know I used to be in the Army. And one of the things that you do, or a football team, or anything like that, is you practice, 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 and you practice under stress so that when you get into a real situation, your training kicks in, and you start doing what you need to do because that's what you've been trained to do. That's striving. That you practice these things so that when you are faced with real tests, your training takes over and you do what you're supposed to do. Obviously, repentance. If you look at yourself and you discover that you have a hard heart, either active or passive, repent. Go to God and say, I repent, I'm sorry. This is the season of the year to do that, by the way. We're coming up on the season of repentance, Yom Kippur, and so forth. So by all means, examine yourself and see if you've got a hard heart and repent of it. And then finally, prayer. One of the things that we do here are what we call set prayers. One where we do the responsive prayer and so forth. And it can become an automatic thing where it isn't real to you. It's just, okay, we're sitting here. He's going to read the prayers. We're going to say the responses. And we'll get through that part of there. And then we'll get on to the dancing. And it becomes not something that's real to you. Figuring out how to make prayer real and work is an extremely important part of curing a passive hard heart.
Because remember, the disciples were not in any doubt about who Yeshua was. They were simply absorbed by their present situation. I don't think it occurred to any of them to stand up and say, Rain, stop. I don't think that went through anybody's mind in the boat. The guy walking around outside the boat, it went through his mind because that's what he did. And the point is, his prayer worked because he believed that they would work and he was connected to his father and he knew the power of his father and he called on that power and the rain and the storm stopped. Yeshua says that the works that I do, you will do more of. And he's not talking about more in quality. He's talking about more in quantity. He was one man. There was a limit to the number of people he could lay hands on and heal. There was a limit to the number of storms he could calm because he was one man. You're more than one. And so when Yeshua says, you will do these things that I do and more, what he's talking about is, I will spread out because all of you will operate in the same power and authority that I operate in, which is the Holy Spirit. That's the object of the exercise, learning how to do that. And that is a cure for a hard heart, because as you pray, and you pray believing things are going to happen, what will happen around you is things will happen. And that will give you confidence in your connection and will give you the confidence when you are in a bad situation physically not to get panicked by the storms or not to get panicked by the Philistines. So, strive to enter his rest. Amen.